What's up guys? Welcome back to another episode of Behind the Facade. In today's episode, which by the way is episode number 96, I am going to let you in on a little secret and that is that it is, as I'm recording this, Thursday the 17th of February. And believe it or not, tomorrow at midday I am going to be getting married. So as when you guys are listening to this, I will be a newly married man. And I have to say, my head is not quite in this podcast right now. So, uh, but I feel like a very lucky man. Looking forward to making my vows tomorrow to a very lovely woman. And um, so, look, I'm going to get straight into the guest today. My guest is Mr. Neil Timmons. Now, Neil is a real estate investor today, but he spent many, many years as a very successful real estate broker. And he has authored a book by the name Unicorn Hunting. Now, there's a there's a longer name, but it's all about real estate and it's all about building uh, your A-team, essentially. And when you want to excel in any kind of organization or any kind of uh, endeavor, you need to have a really, really good team around you. And so Neil's book is all about building that team and finding those people to be able to do the best possible job with your organization. Now, for those of you who are going to be listening in from Ireland, I'm sure you might be thinking, what as a, an investor based in the US, what advice will he have that's applicable to me? Don't be thinking like that at all. Neil has got some really good advice for anyone who wants to get into the real estate investment industry. Uh, advice around finding a mentor or a coach is particularly uh, valuable, in my opinion, because uh, Neil himself had a lot of self-limiting beliefs that held him back from getting into investment himself. Even though he was a realtor and he was out there selling property, he wasn't actually buying it himself until uh, just about five years ago. Now, I really, really enjoyed this conversation with Neil and I learned a lot myself, so I'm sure you're going to too. So please help me welcome Mr. Neil Timmons. You are listening to Behind the Facade, the number one podcast for investing with a particular focus on the real estate and property investment market. I am your host, Gavin J. Gallagher, and on this podcast, I'm going to be exploring the mental and emotional game often playing out subconsciously, both in your mind and the mind of everyone else in the real estate market. The key to success in this game is to master your mindset and behavior, to take control of your thoughts, your emotions, and most importantly, your ego. Welcome to the show. Neil Timmons, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Gavin. I'm excited to be here. It's, uh, it's great to have you. Um, tell me this. My, this podcast goes out to quite a lot of different countries, and, and I always like to start with by asking my guest, where in the world are you coming in from? I'm coming in from Des Moines, Iowa. Des Moines, Iowa. Okay, yeah. interesting. And uh, what's, the, what's the climate like there at this time of the year? This time of year. So we're recording this. It's uh, you know, a couple of days into February. It is cold. Today is bitterly cold. I, I, th- I think, you know, as I drove into the office today, they said it was negative one Fahrenheit. So darn cold, but next week looks uh, unseasonably warm. It's supposed to be in the mid 40s, which is yeah, not okay. commonplace. Yeah. It's a lot uh, colder than it is here in Ireland. Anyway, I'm, I'm in Ireland and we've got, uh, I think it's probably around 10 degrees centigrade, which is, yeah. I don't know, up around 50 or something in 
in Fahrenheit. Anyway, it's um, it's it's good to have you on the podcast. We're going to get into. I was looking at the details of your book. You've got a book called Unicorn Hunting, and it's it's yeah. all about real estate. Uh, with a name like that, people might think it's about you know the stock market and things like that. But, sure. Um, it's about real estate. We'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah. But I always like to kind of start with a little context and backstory. And so I just wonder if you could kind of give us a description of what was a young Neil like growing up, and you know, kind of what drew you into the real estate industry. Yeah, no, it's a it's a great question. So I, a young Neil was aggressive and into sports. So today I, I stand six feet, five inches tall. Um, I played college football, was all state in college, played uh, played offensive line. I was nearly 300 pounds when I played. And thank God I've, I've shed a whole bunch of that over the years. But, Big. you know, uh, I think back to uh, fifth grade is the most memorable um, kind of business moment, if you if you will. I was a fat kid growing up. And I remember, you know, there was a bake sale one day. Mom sent me with, uh, it must have been a quarter to school to, to uh, you know, get, get my baked goods. And um, I, I was, a, I attended a school K through eight and we, you know, we take turns going down to lunch. So you had fifth grade and then right after us was sixth, seventh, eighth, all came down at one time. So I had bought uh, my baked goods before sixth, seventh, and eighth came down. And then a whole bunch of people at my, at my uh, lunch table didn't want any of their cookies. So I literally you know, they, they kept piling cookies on me. So I remember I had just a giant stack of cookies, sixth, seventh and eighth grade came down and they had sold out of all the baked goods. Okay. So all these sixth, seventh, and eighth graders are like looking around, like where, where did all these things go? And I'm sitting there at a, at a lunch table with a mound of cookies. So they all came over like, Hey, can we buy a cookie? Yes. Cookies were five cents. So now I, I'm in business. They're 10 cents. <laughs> so I remember, I remember, you know, mom sent me to school with a quarter. I came home with a cupcake and a buck 25. Nice. Very good. Yeah. That's a yeah. good bit of a good business uh, lesson. Nice and yeah. early. Correct. And was it, and were there any influences uh, like, you know, kind of people growing up that kind of influenced you in particular? Um, yeah, certainly, you know, I, I grew up, I've got three brothers. Uh, I'm the eldest, all of us are two years apart. So it was just a very competitive family. My, my father um, grew up, played football, played, uh, played in college as well. And so it was just a very competitive uh, and physical environment. <laughs> And so, I, I mean, as you can imagine, you know, my, my brother's just two years below me. We, we shared a room for, for, you know, from, from his birth to the day I exited uh, the house. And so we're, we're great friends, very competitive. We learned a lot from each other and, and certainly our careers and the trajectory we're on and, and how we collaborate and communicate, challenge each other um, has been very good from, from, you know, from, from birth to today. And are all your brothers as tall and big as you? Pretty close. Yeah. I mean, we're all within about a couple of inches. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Giant family. Yeah, um, exactly. And uh, so I was looking at your LinkedIn earlier and yeah. I can see that you've been in real estate for many years and, and right. in, in different places and stuff like yeah. that. I mean, prior to starting your own business, what were you doing and uh, or what were you working on? Yeah. So when I, when I graduated um, college, university. I, I came, uh, that was in over in Nebraska. I came, returned to Iowa, went to work for Wells Fargo, was a personal banker there for a couple of years. Um, it was a really good, you know, entry level position. I, I learned some sales pieces there. Uh, you wouldn't think, you know, being a personal banker is all about sales, but Wells Fargo is all about sales. Um, so there were some really good things there. I learned a lot about, I uh, did a lot about second mortgages. So I did a number of second mortgages and that got me an education in first mortgages. Uh, my mom, uh, so as I mentioned, you know, she raised, she raised four sons. She didn't work. She literally stayed home, raised all of us, got to the point where everybody was out and she, 
she and I were talking one day. She goes, I, you know, I think I'm out doing something. Want to do more? I'm not sure what I should do. And I said, you know what? You'd make a really good realtor. And she, she thought about it literally for five seconds. She goes, you know what? I think I would. I'm going to go do that. So she went, did that a year later. I'm still working at Wells Fargo and her and I are talking. She's had terrific success in the first year in real estate, made it uh, out earned me at Wells Fargo. And so she's going, uh, this, is, this is what I did. And, and I'm like, you know what? If you can do that, I can do better. How about that for a competitive family? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so uh, you know, I was two years into Wells Fargo. I decided, you know, it's time for me to make a change. And that's how I ended up in real estate, became a realtor. Um, and that was my first step in where, you know, I joined a company, the largest real estate company yeah, here in, huge. here in town at the time. Yeah. And I mean, at what stage did you decide to make the leap into kind of it being your own business that you started? Yeah. Good question. So I was with a traditional real estate company. I would say that's not your own business. Although you do some things, you rely very heavy on them. I was there for about, um, two, three years, somewhere in that range. You know, my first year in real estate, I, I'm just, I'm just a guy, you know, you know, kind of burn the ships. You will not fail. I worked 355 days my first wow. year in real estate. There's just no way. I'm rookie of the year. Uh, ended up number, you know, maybe into my second year, I was number seven agent out of 700 agents in the firm. Mm -hmm. it just, and that wasn't that was purely from effort. It wasn't, it wasn't grind. so much for, yeah, it was just straight grind and, you know, you learn the trade and then you just go and just try this, try that, just grind. Um, and so from there, I'm like, you know what, all this success is largely becoming to me, not becoming from me, not the firm I'm associated with. So time to make a change. I went, joined Remax that, that, uh, although it's a company, it's owned by others in that scenario. I mean, it really is your own business. You're on your own. I was there for two years and then I bought my own Remax started okay. my own team. The intent there, you know, most Remax franchises are, you know, end up with 10, 20, 30, 50, 100, 100 agents, whatever it may be. My intent was to have my own team and not have any other agents. And that's what I did. Build a team of five people under the Remax umbrella with my own franchise, 100% my own business. Right. Okay. Yeah. So, and it's all the commissions go to you because you're the that's right. agent. Yeah. yeah. That's makes a lot of sense. And uh, I mean, in the, the the prior job that you had, I mean, what, what would you say were the biggest lessons you learned in that period of time prior to starting your own business? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's, I'll go back to Wells Fargo. The, the hilarious part is, you know, they say entrepreneurs are the only people who, you know, quit, quit a 40 hour job week. <laughs> right? To go work 80 hours to not work for somebody else. I yeah. worked for Wells Fargo. I go to work Saturday mornings for like three hours and I hated it. I couldn't stand it. It was like, it was just, there was a physical pain, literally physical pain driving there. And even to this day, I still, I still work Saturdays, uh, but there's a love, there's a passion. It's, it's not, I'm not doing it for somebody else. I'm largely you're sailing your own boat. Yeah. 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 But you know, it's, you're exactly right. It's, it's funny, you know, it's for me, but then it's also for my team, for the people who are here, for the clients we serve. It's, it's for a whole bunch of other people. Um, you know, so the, the, what were the lessons, you know, the lesson, uh, the biggest lessons I learned really all the way through this is, you know, you, you have to work. There is a, and that doesn't mean a hundred hours a week. I mean, it means you, you got to put in some effort. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. There, there, you can't coast through this. Right. Yeah. And, and tell me, I mean, in terms of, so you had a, I suppose, a safety net of having a company Remax um, and you were working in there. Then all of a sudden you own your own Remax. Like what were the challenges that suddenly presented 
or was had you pretty much figured it out by that stage? No, the, the challenge is, I mean, you know, when you go from being under an umbrella, having an office in somebody else's, you know, a company, if you will, um, to now you're on your own. I mean, sourcing the office, getting the rent. I mean, it's all the little things, getting the copier, the copier breaks. Well, that's my problem now, right? Yeah, yeah. It's all those little things that go into that, that just isn't, you know, the, you don't ever give it much thought because, mm-hmm. you know, you, you, I'm largely focused on the big thing, which is revenue generating activities, not the little things. Um, it's funny you say that I, I spoke with a friend of mine a few uh, weeks back on this podcast and he was saying exactly, he was the number one salesperson in his company, in the company he worked in for prior to starting his own business. And he kind of thought, oh, I'm going to absolutely knock it out of the park because, yeah. you know, I, I'm going to be 100% working for myself. But of course, all of a sudden, all of your income earning sort of work is divided now between having to pay the bills and having to do this and having to do that and all of Mm. these. So you end up only putting about maybe 50% of your time into the actual revenue generating, whereas before, as the number one sales guy in the other place, you did 100% of your hours. Right, right. Yeah. So it's, uh, I guess it's figuring out and that's where hiring good people and things like that, which uh, that's, you're, about, yeah. you're, you're exactly right. And that was my first forte into hiring good people at, in, in that era is just the ability to get somebody who does the things that you know, you don't want to do, but you're also, you're not good at. Yeah, and and yeah. typically when we're not good at something, we don't want to do it anyway. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's funny. I'm, I'm a member of a, a group called strategic coach. There's a guy called Dan oh, sure. Sullivan. Yeah. Yes. And, uh, and Dan, Dan has that whole thing. He talks about the unique, um, your unique ability is what it is. You're so kind of completely in flow when you're in that state. You yes. And most of your time, time in that yeah. doing that. And then, but there's the funny thing is, is like, there's things like, whatever it might be like doing, you know, a, uh, a spreadsheet or something like that. I mean, you might hate doing that, but there are people out there that absolutely love, to love spend it. hours pouring over that kind of thing. And you just need to find the people whose unique ability is what you're looking for. You're exactly right. Yeah. And, and for me, that largely means hiring people opposite of me, Op- yeah. you know, they're oftentimes opposite in personality, not quite as gregarious. Right. And they yeah. love to do the things that I don't love to do. Right. Yeah, yeah, and that's and that's and you can create like an A team around you when you do, when you have those guys. Yes, right? yeah, and and the people like that recognize that too. When you get somebody who who is uh, self aware, they recognize what they are and what they are not and what they need, yeah, and they can yeah. they love to be in part of an environment that the the one that we create because I love to be part of it too. Having those people who do the things that that are best for them to do. Yeah, yeah. yeah. In terms of setting up, uh, I mean, your, your Remax, I guess, you know, a lot of people would, would assume that uh, a broker, one broker is like the other broker. Would you agree or would you sort of say that you have a unique selling point um, in your business? Yeah, there was uh, at that time and that, that era when I had my Remax, I, I created, I, I morphed into, I, you know, I plugged into coaching in which had, you know, the coaching program had designed a unique selling proposition. And I implemented that in my city and was able to carve that off for myself. Cause you're right. You know, and I think that's one of the things, um, you know, one of the things I would have learned early on at, at certainly Wells Fargo is, you know, every banker is the same. Well, if everybody is the same, we'd all get the same results. Clearly there's some things that we do differently um, to get different results. And you apply that to real estate. I'm going to say there's, it's roughly a 90, 10, certainly an 80, 20, but I'm going to guess it's a 90, 10 in terms of the percentage to the results. We have over 
2,500 agents in the city now, maybe nearly 3,000, which is the most that's ever occurred. I bet it's still a 90-10. Yeah, yeah. 90% of the fees are going to 10% of those guys. That's exactly, yeah. it's exactly right. It's a bit like yeah. the Pareto principle, isn't it? 80-20. Yeah, that's exactly right. A little more skewed to the upper. (laughs) Correct. Yep. And uh, did you uh, tell me this when you were starting out in that early stage, did you have mentors or anyone to kind of help guide you? Plugged into a coach. And that's really what catapulted my success because, you know, us as individuals, we have to do certain things. And for me, it was, uh, I'm going to give a hundred, hundred percent effort. I'll bring, I'll bring the time, energy and effort to it. And to be able to couple that with a coach who has been there, done that to provide direction to go, Hey, we've, we've got systems and strategies that work for us. They work for hundreds of other people yeah. plug into this and implement, uh, and you'll see a different level of success. And that's absolutely what transpired and it still transpires to this day. I'm a huge advocate of, of coach of education. Um, because I think it's, it is you know, you can either learn from your own mistakes or be wise and learn from the mistakes of others. And yeah. I just want to be wise. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot to be said for it. All right. And 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 so you've gone through a couple of iterations, your business, you've got yes. to currently what your company is called Legacy Impact Partners. Legacy Impact Partners. Yep. So tell us about that. Yeah. So you're right. We've I've gone through a handful of iterations uh, personally, you know, professionally, that is um, in about five, just over five years ago, I bought my first rental property, my first investment piece. Um, just about three months ago, I became financially free through the acquisition of, um, a couple, couple of properties close that, uh, that pushed me over the, the edge there. Um, just a little over a year ago, although I am still a realtor today, I'm still a broker, still manage a brokerage. I do not take on clients. I brought a gal in to replace me in that role. And hundred percent of what I do today is focused on investments. So a number your of fixing own, your own are, investments are my own investments. Yeah. A number of fixing and flipping, uh, dozens of rental properties and commercial property as well. So that started five years ago and just a slow shift out of brokerage. And then finally, you know, into full-time real estate investing. And, and just looking back now on that, would you have started earlier? Had you the opportunity or... What, yeah, what I mean, held you back starting only five years ago? Mentally, it was, uh, the, you know, you touching this and you're one of the best. I mean, it is nothing but a mental barrier that just prevented it. it you know, it's mainly, I'll be a little cheekier. It's mainly the BS we tell ourselves. What I mean by that is the, be- the belief system yeah. that we have. That's what I mean by BS, belief system that we have. Um, this self-limiting beliefs to go, oh, and, and they're just, they're just false. And, and as soon as you can break through that barrier, you increase your capacity to do more. I should have been buying, to answer your question, I should have been buying in 2010. I did not have any exposure, so I didn't get caught in the downswing. Right. Uh, and as a realtor, you know, 2010, 11 were the best years ever because realtors exited the market like crazy. And those of us who were left, again, the 90-10 thing, um, I mean, I, the best year of my life was either 2010 or 2000, must have been 2010. In terms of the number one, um, I mean, most homes sold, so 200 plus homes. I mean, we're just, because I don't compete against, you know, as a realtor, you don't compete against the market, you compete against other realtors, right? Yeah, yeah. Right. And and the other thing is, is, I mean, 2010, the value was just insane, you know, and it's, crazy. It's, it's, it's funny that you're, as a realtor, you'd be selling 
property to people and you'd be saying, look at this great value. And it's funny how you don't look at it yourself and think, uh, mm, yeah, why don't I jump in there myself? <laughs> I, I just, I didn't know enough about, you know, the, the management of uh, single family rentals scared me. Didn't, it was all self-limiting beliefs. That's mm -hmm. all it was. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, that's an area that I like to kind of get into. And um, I mean, in terms of the habits and behaviors that you've developed since you've got into this, like, is there any particular area that you've found that isn't serving you that, you know, that you, as a broker, it served you, but when you went into investing, you found that actually wasn't really serving you. Mm, that's a good question. You know, part of that is understanding what has held me back and then challenging those things. Right. So if there's any, if there, if I ever, and I make this commitment to my team, if there's ever an area that I've run up to where it's scary, I now have to go there. Right. Because those things that become familiar to us are no longer scary to us. We're often, yeah. we're often scared of the unknown. And so I literally have to go attack it. Either I have to get present about it. I got to talk about it. Who, who, who said it? Um, I forget the guy's name off the top of my head, but what becomes mentionable is manageable. Yeah. And measurable is the other. And measurable. Yes, yeah. exactly right. Um, there are activities and actions that I took as a realtor, largely because that's the business that I would never do today as an investor. And that's largely, you know, dealing, being as a realtor, it's, you know, you're selling yourself in many cases, it's dealing with people, it's dealing with personalities. And today as an investor, you know, I'm dealing with, yes, because we buy direct from homeowners, but I'm, so I, I deal with the people and the personalities to a degree and I'm dealing with property to a degree. Right. right. Um, and so I can tell you like, you know, almost, you know, the, the, let's say the average of my five great biggest checks that I ever was paid as a realtor, I'm telling you the average of the five out of a thousand plus sales probably are lower than my average in terms of, of what I've worked for today as an investor. Yeah. Interesting. So we've moved up to scale in dollars and cents, right? Yeah. It's interesting. The, the self-limiting beliefs. So I, in terms of when you were working as a realtor and you, I mean, I know that with me, when I'm working with investors and stuff, we all have these kind of star clients or star investors that kind of inspire us because they're so successful. Did yeah. you have any guys like that, that kind of, you know, had that kind of uh, spark? Yeah. You'll get a kick out of this. I actually thought investors, because of, of what I would do on the, how my business was structured on the realtor side, I actually thought investors, from my standpoint, were the worst clients I could ever have. Really? <laughs> <laughs> they bought the cheapest homes. Which meant the lowest commission to me, right? Right, I understand. They would, yeah. they would buy from anybody. They don't care. I mean, the, the although yes, they're they're. I mean, people are loyal, yes. But if somebody brought them a deal, they're buying the deal from somebody else, I right? And then uh, you know they'd always want to beat you up or or, or work to reduce the commission on the backside of the sale because every dollar counted. Many, many in many cases because they overspent on a, on a on a fix and flip, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's interesting. <laughs> And I'll tell me this, yeah. have you seen, um, I mean, obviously COVID has come along and sure. it's disrupted the market very much. Um, yeah. Initially, we all thought it was going to be a terrible disruption and, and then it turned out right. to be a great, you know, kind of uh, incentive or certainly it's it sent the prices upwards. But how did it impact your business? Uh, so I guess your realtor business, first of all. Yeah, on the realtor side. Um, so I was still selling some then, just not so much. It, it, it you know, it had a little, but it wasn't, it wasn't as big a deal. Uh, I, I pretty much, when I got to the point where, you know, I, I was working diligently trying to get out of yeah. the realtor side of the business. So if, if, and I mean, I, I literally would only work referrals and only if people called me and we do, I do some follow-up 
uh, just because my database is so big over the years. But other than that, I didn't spend any, not a penny in the year from a marketing standpoint. Right, right. Just nothing. So I, I was at a point just, I couldn't care if it- You were cruising. I was cruising. Yeah, because, be, because I had a revenue stream on the other side of things. Yeah, because my yeah. time, energy, effort could still produce dollars. Right. And so in your investment business, did yeah. that take any kind of a, a knock or was that pretty well insulated? Yeah, it was like for maybe 30, 60, 90 days, somewhere in that range, just people didn't want to meet. You could just, they just didn't want to have anything to do with it. They were, everybody was scared, had no idea what was going on. Now I can tell you my attitude at that time was, um, I'm just going to keep, I'm going to buy everything I can possibly buy. Anything I can buy, I'm going to buy. Oh, really? Interesting. And I had yeah. not, not knowing again, not having a concept, all of us were hoped that this thing would be over in months, not years, but just not having an idea. I'm going, somebody's, listen, it's either going to be the end of the world and it, or everything's going to get better and we're going to find a way to navigate it. And yeah. either one, I can't control the end of the world. We're all going to zero. If that's the way it is, that's the way it is. Um, yeah. And if it gets better, I'm going to profit. Yeah, I can remember. It, it reminds me of uh, just after the September 11th attacks back in 2001, sure. and everyone just thought it was the end of the world, uh, right. you know, economically speaking and stuff. Right. And but a couple of years later, everything bounces back, and you know, they were talking about the end of travel and stuff like that back then, you know, because correct, airplane, obviously, and uh, people have a short memory, and things just two you know, years we're, later we're back. Yeah. Two, two years later, I mean, I, I recall in December, they were talking about we're ahead of travel. Number of people flying were ahead of where we were to pre-COVID. <laughs> That's crazy. I mean, Already. the, the it, it, there is something to be said for um, Rothschild may have said it when there's blood in the streets, buy property and what was intended <laughs> there, right? Yeah. Is when everything's going to heck and Warren Buffett has obviously made a fortune out of you know, huge giant swings in the market, um, you know, 2010 in the real estate market as an example, but, you know, March, April of 2020, the market went crazy and there was tremendous opportunities to buy yeah. and you'd be well rewarded, you know, a year to two years later. Yeah. Yeah. Um, switching gears a little bit. Do you have any passions or hobbies outside of your business that you're, I love, I, I, I do a couple of things. I love traveling. So, um, we're going to, my wife and I are headed to your general direction. We're headed to, it's our 20th anniversary. So we're headed to Greece and Italy here Oh, nice! Um, this summer. Um, so I travel, you know, probably every other month still to this day. I plug into a number of real estate masterminds. Um, the benefit of that is, you know, outside of business, there's tremendous personal relationships that I build with these people. And I yeah. just, I love having conversations with, with them about what real estate and everything else. We, yeah. There's just a tremendous commonality between what we do and that that often spurs other things. I hunt a few times a year, which is great. And, and fish, deep sea fish, which I love to do. Okay, nice. Yeah. And so obviously the travel is interesting. Yeah. And um, in terms of, uh, you know, the, the, the habits and is there any area that you struggle with? I mean, some one of the things that I have a problem with was always FOMO, you know, the fear of missing out. And yeah. I'd always be sort of finding it very hard to say no to stuff. Is there any areas that you kind of struggle with like that? Yeah, I've had exactly the same thing, what you just said early on. And I think some of that is, you know, for me getting to a certain level of success, and I don't know what exactly what that was, but getting to a point where you're going, you know, instinctively, you know, you can't say yes to everything. Every time you say yes to something, you say no to something else. It's because yeah. the calendar's gone, the time's out. That and getting clear, what are the intended outcomes have helped me get, get through that. 
you know, cause I get friends who call with all sorts of business ideas, opportunity to invest, whatever it may be. And, and I think I passed on 99.9% of everything just because it's so it's focused today. We really got a good sense of, of uh, the business model and what I want my life to be like at the same time, mm-hmm. how I make money, where, where I want to go, where do I want to be in 10 and 20 years that, you know, one of the habits that I, I added in, uh, you know, I get to a point where I was very stressed out. And so stress and the management thereof, you know, became in the forefront of my mind to go, how do I, how do I going to manage all this? Because I have so many things going on involved in multiple businesses. And I added in, I don't know, maybe it's been 18 months now or so, um, habitual working out. Yeah. So I work out, I work out five days a week. Now, you know, you would think I, I kept that up for my playing days, but I didn't, I would do some cardio, but not a lot, not enough for, from a routine basis, not enough to make it a habit. And so, you know, at this point, you know, join a gym right by my office on the way to my office. I mean, it's just, it's just perfect. There's no excuse. There's no reason not to go. Um, so for 18 months, I think I've missed about five days ever in 18 months. That's great. So yeah. It has become a habit and there's tremendous benefits. Yes. Physical, but it's the largest one is mental habit or the mental yeah. benefit of stress reduction, your ability to think, to be clear, to process there's yeah, I love it. Uh, yep. I'm a I'm a huge proponent of that. Right? I've been I fe- I fell into the sort of whole fitness thing about 20 years ago, and I just yeah. uh, and my father died very young, and okay. um, and so it kind of had an impact on me watching that, and so I kind of thought, okay, I'm going to be the fittest uh, mofo out there. <laughs> I'm going to make sure <laughs> that I <laughs> I'm going to be. So um, I'd like to talk about your book uh, yeah. now, Neil, if that's okay. I mean, can, yeah. Unicorn Hunting. Tell us, uh, you know, where the name comes from, first of all. Yeah, unicorn hunting. So I, I would call it unicorn hunting for real estate investment companies. Here, I'll show you how to, how to easily attract, screen, and land a unicorn. Yeah, I call it the complete hiring funnel. And so uh, the name came from you know the ability to find that perfect employee. I, I, I define unicorn employee by the person who's perfectly fit to do that exact role, whatever that role is. You talked about spreadsheets. You know, if that's it, that's it. But at the same time, uh, who matches your culture? Yeah, right. Those, those non-negotiables that you have as an individual, and you has a you know as a business as a reflection of you as an individual, um, they match both those things. Because a perfect employee who you know somebody might be a unicorn in my role might not line up in your culture, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's a good point. Uh, actually, on that whole point, I'm very curious. Just, I mean, in terms of your own company culture. Sure. Uh, has the has the work from home sort of movement kind of is that caught it uh, has that impacted your culture in any way uh, d- dramatically and that's that's largely where this book came from I, we were I was faced at a point a couple of years ago uh, to to go all right it's time to hire it's time to scale and we ended up finding out that in my backyard in Des Moines I couldn't hire anybody meaning uh, almost nobody would show up from an application standpoint the numbers were dismal. And so it was time to go, all right, well, let's, let's pivot this and figure out how do I hire remotely? And from my standpoint, remote has meant us-based employees time zone. There's just a bunch of positives that line up from that standpoint. Mm. Um, How do I get the absolute, how do I get the best for my money? And so as soon as you go, I don't need them to be in my office. Then that means how do I, how do I narrow the search down? And so that's largely what the book is about is about how do, how do I attract and how to attract more people than you'd ever need in any role, literally thousands. Right. And then how to screen them all out with ease. So you don't spend a whole bunch of time and then boil that down to 
to interview and then onboard somebody. But yes, it is it has impacted um, in a big way, and from my standpoint, in a positive way because it allowed me. It really forced me to pivot to go pull off my change my belief system, right? Yeah, yeah. To go, I, I never thought I could hire remotely. I have to have somebody in my office. You know, I fought all that stuff to go. How am I going to figure out how to manage somebody? Uh, yeah. uh, how do I know Remote. if they do the, how do I know if they do the work? How do I know if they're any good? And that led I... us down a, that led us down a path to go, all right, well, if that's your belief. Let's change some things. And, and it started with culture. What am I, you know, if I, if I had to go remark for somebody remotely, could I do it? And how would they manage me? And I just know I'm totally accountable. So I need to hire totally accountable people. That's it. Yeah. That's what right. it boils down to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I think that was a big eye opener for a lot of people in the, around the world is that, you know, they kind of, if you asked any manager prior to COVID, like, you know, can you hire sort of graduates from college and, and like let them work from home? And no yeah. chance, you know, that would have been right. the, the right. <laughs> and yet here we are, you know, a two years into, you know, lockdowns and various kind of uh, restrictions and stuff. And yeah. it seems like people have figured it out now that actually you can. And I guess technology is helping to a degree. The fact that we can have these kind of zoom calls and yes and all that in terms of your your culture do you have like a an all hands on deck type kind of a meeting once a week or how do you manage the kind of yeah so we follow the uh, the book traction and that 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 largely you know whether you do it remotely or not remotely it doesn't really matter but it, it laid out for us a process and procedures from us from a meeting standpoint and really how to how to best manage the business. And so we do a daily huddle every day. It's about 15 minutes tops. Everybody's on the call and it's, you know, we open with what's your positive for the day. That's a good one. So we want to talk about, you know, what's going on in people's, people's lives. And then we move into business KPIs. Everybody's got a number. And in most cases, everybody has numbers that they're reporting on from a KPI standpoint in every role. And so we're going through that and then we move on to, you know, where we have from a transaction standpoint, what, what do we need? What are the highlights? And who needs to be delivering on some, something for somebody else to close that's, out their bit? That's exactly right. Yep. Yeah. yeah. And it's for, for us, you know, uh, because everybody, you know, our culture is total accountability, personal accountability. You know, Lou Holtz said it, I think, um, you know, a reporter once asked him, the, the, the famous football coach from Notre Dame, how do you, you know, you know, all these people, all your teammates, all these players are positive. They all have positive energy. He said, how do you motivate these people? And he said, it's easy. I just eliminate the ones who aren't. Yeah. So, right. I mean, the, the, it starts at the door who gets in and getting those people in. So everybody's, everybody's accountable. Our meetings are very lighthearted. They're very jovial. So you, you'll have to, I mean, people are razzing people. It's fun. And everybody knows because at the end of the day, it boils down. Or we hitting the numbers or not? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't. Well, there is. I side. don't have to. I don't have to. You know, there's no, there's no whip or anything. It's just this is the goal. Are we there or not? Everybody yeah. knows. Yeah. Interesting. Um, I'm curious. Just you know, we were as you mentioned earlier, we're recording this podcast kind of the first couple of days of February, yeah. and at the moment, the news cycle seems to be all filled with you know inflation, labor shortages. Yeah supply chain issues and of course you got the geopolitical of uh, russia and ukraine, ukraine so, yeah. i mean what are your views on the outlook for the market now for the next 12 months yeah it's it's inflation is real uh there's inflation is double-edged and it depends where you're at in this where you're at in this market meaning uh for us inflation it will drive up building costs 
And what that will do is pull up in a very big way, the resale value of, of properties, your, your, sure. yeah. your 10, 20, 30, 50 year old home. I mean, it pulls it, it pulls it up. Um, there is some benefits there. If you're, if you're a long holder of real estate is that inflation is going to, inflation is going to move real asset values. Yeah, for sure. Um, I think it will depend for, from our standpoint, you know, when I, when I look at the numbers, I track our, every week I track the seven day, uh, what are the number of new listings? So how many homes for sale come on in my market and then pendings, what, what had an accepted offer that went off the market. And since about January of last year, almost a little over a year right now, the numbers going off the market versus coming on are greater. There's more homes going off the market sold that are coming on the market. It, this is the first time ever you'd have a week here or there mm. um, that certainly dotted over a period of time, but never did we have, we ever seen a year straight of homes coming off the market, a net loss of, of new properties for sale. Never. So inventory's down. Inventory's down, demand's way up. And so in my mind, until that changes, you know, interest rates can rise, you know, and they, they're going to, it appears. Um, yeah. But it's, there is so much demand that it's not going to matter. Yeah, interest rates do seem like they are going to rise. And uh, and the one thing that I would say about, um, I mean, definitely if house prices are, are rising, that's a good thing. But if you're an, sort of in the beginning of your journey of buying real estate and yes. you know a lot of people go in and they can only afford so much and so they yes. kind of they put everything into it and they borrow that's yeah. the one concern that i would have for people out there that are kind of in this uh, in this place i i would i would agree with uh, that but i'd further it to say no matter where you're at in the journey if you go all in on one thing it's uh you're yeah gonna say, you're gonna compare, gonna, yeah it can it can be real tough yeah you're exactly right so what would i do there you know, I go find a partner, go figure out how to make it not all in, figure out how to limit that exposure. But yeah, I, I agree with you that, and, you know, if you're going to go, if you're going to do it and you know, it's your first property, lock in and, you know, get a 30 year fixed rate and be patient. Crunch the debt. Correct. That's yeah. the, that's some advice that I got from uh, somebody based in New York. He said, just uh, sit, sit there, crunch the debt. You'll always do well. Yep. That's right. Um, in terms of the main risks that you are looking at from your own portfolio, what would you say they are? Mm, that's a good question. All right, so on the residential side, our, our primary risks are property management. Who's, who's involved doing the day-to-day -day stuff? Because property management can absolutely destroy your portfolio. How do they, you know, when there's a problem, how do they get it done? Meaning who do they hire? How's it done? What are they paying? Because that that is where you can operationally, that is, that's the most critical factor. Mm -hmm. um, market, you know, market wise, I feel like we're in a, you know, outside of something really unforeseen, meaning a large employer exiting, going bankrupt, having, having a real problem that, that would dramatically affect the whole city. Um, you know, outside of that, it seems like, you know, the properties are in good shape. They're well-maintained, you know, our population growth. So I talked about supply and demand, you know, my city is the number one growth city in population growth um, in the Midwest. And so from my standpoint, I'm like, this is, it, we just continue to have a supply and demand factor, but demand out, outpacing the supply, you know, you're seeing prices go up, you're seeing rent rates go up. You just see everything increase. And over a period of time, if that maintains over a period of a decade, we're going to be in fine fine spot yeah, on, the, sure. on the on the commercial side it's just the we've got varied tents in varied industries there so our intent has always been to buy commercial assets that 
you know, get backfilled from somebody, you know, they're, they're versatile enough or in demand enough that if this person leaves this, this asset is still in demand. Right. Yeah. 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 That's the big one. And tell me just something that I personally follow quite closely is um, it seems to be the, a lot of the investors that uh, I'm speaking to, certainly I, I look after a lot of corporate sort of offices and things like that. Yeah. And um, ESG and the, the green and environmental sort of energy and stuff like that, that yeah. seems to be a big driving factor. And, you know, the value of buildings that are old and don't have those energy efficiencies seem to be getting coming under pressure from that. Are you seeing sure. that yourself over there? A little, but not a lot, just because the stock of buildings, you know, um, and the rate in which you can pay, you know, I think that you'll see it in more publicly traded companies, you'll see it in bigger companies, but some of the, some of the smaller places, it's just, it has not been um, kind of as, as important. If you, if you're a, if you're a big tenant though, and you're going to, you know, you need to place a building or you need, you need a lot of square footage, it's and you've it's got amazing. some public, yeah, it's a big factor. Yeah. yeah. Mine, mine are, mine are more that tier down, you know, regional or city players and they they just don't have so much, you know, external pressure from, from what Investors. does the public. Yeah. yeah correct. Yeah. Yeah. Right. right. That's interesting. Um, Neil, apart from your own book, which we'll yeah. be, uh, I'll be putting a link in the, uh, in the show notes, but have you got any, you know, what would the one book that you would recommend as a resource to, to uh, you know what I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to do twice as good. I'm going to give you two books, one from a business standpoint and one that changed my mentality. Okay. Uh, so from business standpoint, confessions of a real estate entrepreneur, it's a terrific book. Uh, it talks largely about uh, commercial real estate and this whole story. It's wonderful. Uh, the book that changed my mentality when I was 22 years old uh, was The uh, Millionaire Mind by Dr. Thomas Stanley. So he wrote The Millionaire Next Door. It's probably his most famous book, but he wrote The Millionaire Mind, which is the psyche of, of those wealthy people. Terrific book. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm gonna, I must have a look at those. And in terms of other resources, are there any kind of things that you recommend out there? Like, I don't know, other podcasts or, you know, what would you do um, in terms of just learning and, and educating yourself? Is there any podcast? Yeah, no, that's a good question. Podcasts are my, are absolutely my favorite because they're so easy. It's so digestible, right? Yeah. Uh, it's just the best. And that's, you know, when I started my real estate investing journey, that's really what I plugged into is just podcast after podcast downloading. And that led me ultimately into multiple groups, befriending a whole bunch of people in the industry and, and really bringing, bringing things up a curve. Right. Right. I get you. Yeah. Um, Neil, you, the best advice that you ever got, what would you oh. say that is? Uh, from the, from the book of, of uh, Thomas Stanley, be honest with all people at all times. Okay, good advice. And then linked to that question, and this is a question I ask all my guests, you know, knowing what you know now, looking back on your career and stuff like, what advice would you give to your younger self starting out on the career? Get a mentor, find somebody you want to be like and just emulate them. I'm, I'm talking almost everything they do. If, if, you, if it's something that you value and say, that's, that'd be cool if I was like that or I had that, just do it. Just find be like person. them. Yeah, yeah. Find find that person. Success leaves clues. Just just copy it. Yeah. Success leaves clues. I love it. Um, thanks so much for your time today, uh, Neil. Too, Gavin. If you got, uh, if people would like to, you know, reach out and connect with you, what's the best place to find you? Yeah, two places: uh, LinkedIn, Neil J. Timmons, or uh, Facebook as well, um, Neil J. Timmons, and I'll make sure I get you those links too. 
great stuff. Well, Neil, it's been a real pleasure speaking with you. Thanks Likewise. again. Thanks, Kevin. All right, guys, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Uh, thank you so much for tuning in to Behind the Facade. If you enjoyed the show or found it useful in any way at all, please take a moment to leave a review over on iTunes or alternatively share it out on social media or to, with a friend who you think the podcast could help. If you have any questions or topics you'd like me to cover in future episodes, please connect with me via my Facebook group, Behind the Facade Community. And the longtime listeners will be aware that I have a YouTube channel called Gavin J. Gallagher, where I have recently begun posting these episodes. These actual podcast episodes are up there to watch and shorter videos, videos from the construction site that we have at the moment and various other kind of bits of advice and stuff that I put up there. So go and check it out. If you're not a fan of YouTube, you can stay in touch with the various projects I am working on by joining my tribe over at GavinJGallagher.com. And while you're there, you'll be able to check out the online learning and education stuff that I have on the real estate business, including my mastermind. That's all for now, guys. I'll see you back here next week. Mm -hmm.